This episode is brought to you in part by The Good Book Company, publisher of Does the Bible Affirm Same-Sex Relationships? by Rebecca McLaughlin, a book that examines 10 claims about the Bible's view of sexuality. Go to thegoodbook.com slash sexualethics to receive 25% off with code CT25. Welcome to The Table Podcast, where we discuss issues of God and culture. Brought to you by Dallas Theological Seminary. Welcome to The Table. We discuss issues of God and culture. I'm Daryl Bach, Executive Director for Cultural Engagement at the Hendricks Center at Dallas Theological Seminary. And my guests today are Michelle Woody and Gary Barnes, who both um, teach in the psychology program here, the counseling program here at Dallas Seminary. And our topic, I almost hate to say it, is difficult <laughs> conversations. Wow. Um, there are times and situations where we, in a variety of settings in which we walk into a conversation we know is going to be difficult, where we know there's disagreement, and those conversations can either um, provide an opportunity for um, for mutually benefiting the participants, or it can blow up. And so we want to talk about about those conversations and what's involved in them. And l- let me begin uh, this way, Michelle, with you. Um, what 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 are the dangers in pursuing a difficult conversation? What what are some of the things that we we do that can uh, damage the possibility of actually making progress in such a conversation? And maybe a second question. Bad to ask two questions at once, but I'll do it. That's all right. Um, is um, what are uh, what are the what are the um, the pitfalls in in pursuing uh, difficult conversations? Why are they Why are they important to pursue? Let me say it that way. Okay. Well, first of all, one of the major issues that can come up right away is not hearing the other person, mm-hmm. hearing only what you want to hear, and hearing it through the lens of your own perception, your own values, and what you stand for versus what they've actually said. Mm-hmm. So that leads oftentimes to a downward spiral of someone hearing incorrectly, and because of that, they now want to be right. Uh-huh. And now if I have to be right, I have to present my position, and now that leads to defenses and people not hearing because they're too busy being right. Yeah, I often say that if you go into a conversation with an agenda, you're actually not interested in a conversation. Exactly. And so, uh, so the tension becomes how to how to how to engage in a good conversation well. And what I'm hearing you say, and maybe you want to elaborate on this a little bit, Gary, is um, is really the key to having a good conversation first is being a good listener. Yes, you know uh, when we are bumping into differences. There's these underlying things that are driving within us Mm -hmm. of will I be accepted or will I be rejected Mm -hmm. with my difference. And so um, one of my natural ways of thinking to come out on the good end of that is if I can win Mm -hmm. over the difference. Mm -hmm. And uh, even if you win, you lose in terms of the relational outcome, mm-hmm. and also having the opportunity to really understand the difference. Mm-hmm. 
And so a big, big part of it is just being aware of you know, what's going on within me that makes a difficult conversation difficult. So I think that's really the first most important thing is that, that awareness personally of what is it that's kind of welling up within me that becomes a barrier for me actually moving towards the other person with their difference. Okay, so I often say that difficult conversations have kind of three layers to them. There's what you're talking about, mm -hmm. and then there's the filter through which you're looking at what you're talking about, yes. and then there's the way your identity or your perception of yourself, what's at stake in what I'm talking about, the, your perception of that. and. Oftentimes, people think they're only talking about the top layer, yes, and they don't think about the other two layers. But right. the other two layers are actually driving what's happening in the conversation. Yes. That's true. That's so, true. so how do you peel away the onion? I mean, how do you how do you take that? How do you move past the top layer and think about uh, kind of what's underneath? What? So, so one of the things I think um, again, most people subconsciously. Um, whether they're aware of it or not, whether they they acknowledge that they like sports or not, the whole winning and losing is a part of our conversation. It's a part of how we communicate with each other. Um, I have to be, again, I have to win in this conversation. Mm -hmm. If we're trying to negotiate what we're going to do at home or what the budget's going to be, I'm losing if I don't get whatever it is I'm trying to get out of this. The big screen TV or mm -hmm. the, the window treatments if it's on the other side, if it's a couple. They have oh, to. I got the TV for sure. <laughs> <laughs> so, so that's one thing. But again, I don't think that um, – each person, when they're in this difficult conversation, I don't think that they are aware of their own self-awareness. Mm -hmm. They're not aware that they automatically, the default is, I've got to win and I've got to make sure I can persuade you mm -hmm. or by force you're going to let me do what I want to do in this conversation. Yeah. So active listening, mm -hmm. again, that's where we have to start. And without it, um, the other side of that, and you, you mentioned it earlier, is when those hidden agendas come in, um, you're, not, you're not hearing any longer. Okay, so um, I, there's a little test that I like to run, kind of the emergency broadcast system when a difficult <laughs> conversation is going on, and that is how I can tell whether I'm in the right mode or not to actually advance the conversation. And that is when the person is talking to me, am I actually paying attention to what they're saying or am I thinking through what my response is going to be in light of what they're saying? Usually if I'm in a combative mode or I have an agenda, then I'm, I'm, in, I'm in default rebuttal mode in terms of engaging with the person. Uh, are there other indicators of, of how you can sense whether you're being open to what the person is saying uh, other than that? So I, I really like your guideline. I think uh, that's kind of your first level of awareness mm -hmm. that you can come up with. Um, if you can kind of take it to another level below that, if you're able to say to yourself, you know, I could 100% understand you even though I'm 100% disagreeing with you. Mm -hmm. So how do I listen to you in a way that I'm actually going to be able to let you know I'm understanding whatever it is you want me to understand? Okay, and a good way to do that is I, I, I think sometimes to – 
to engage the person by saying something like, um, can I put what you just said to me in different yeah. words? Mm-hmm. And are you comfortable with the way I'm expressing this? Am I hearing what you're saying? Exactly. Yes. Okay. And wait to hear the response, response. to that. Yeah. That's yeah. right. Yeah, which means you got to be open to, to the way that is being perceived as well. That's right. But the yeah. other is also even the nonverbal communication. Mm-hmm. That's almost as important <laughs> as what is said. Mm-hmm. So if you're closed, mm-hmm. if you tighten up the attitude. <laughs> Exactly. Okay, come Rolling your <laughs> eyes. <laughs> oh, Rolling your boy. eyes. Yeah, yeah. Turning to the side. Uh-huh. Away from the person you're you're communicating with. Mm-hmm. You know, these are the things we go through in sessions and in- talk to interesting huh. people about these things. Okay. So so I, I I walk into a difficult conversation. I've got these dimensions going on of, of things that are happening. I've got to be aware of kind of what's happening with me as I, as I walk into it. I, I also think that sometimes um, reflecting on the goal of what the goal of the conversation is important. We've already mentioned in just our, our initial exchanges that oftentimes the goal is, well, I've got to win this conversation. Mm-hmm. I've got to get what I want in mm-hmm. one way or another. We mm-hmm. say that in one way or another. And there's a whole other conversation, probably a whole other podcast, about the way in which there are oftentimes power dynamics at work in these conversations that are in play, depending on how how those conversations are perceived uh, and the relative positions of the people participating and that kind of thing. But we'll stay out of that for now. Uh, and and as we move into trying to engage, the, the first goal in a good conversation is probably the goal to simply understand each other. Yes. If if I know I'm moving into a conversation where I'm I'm already anticipating there's differences, mm-hmm. and uh, that it could be a difficult conversation, mm-hmm. if I can divide it up into a two part process mm-hmm. right from the beginning, and if the other person's doing that mm-hmm. as well, that's helpful. And my part one total goal and strategy is built around understanding. That's it. And that, and primarily, what that we mean by understanding is understanding the other person. Yes, that there would be mutual understanding okay. as the outcome, right, of, right. The, of the difficult conversation. But I've got to open myself up to the other person in order to totally. get there. Okay. Yeah, and so the strategies that match up with that goal is that I don't talk in a way where there's a winner and a loser. Okay, there's no talking where there's actually persuasion. Uh, there's no rule that we need to reach agreement in part one while we're talking. The goal is simply to uh, concisely express, here's what I think, here's how I feel, this is what I expect, in a way that the person can receive it. Mm-hmm. A lot of times, we're not being heard because as the speaker, we're getting in the way of the other person hearing us. Mm-hmm. We're actually promoting a defensive response back from them. See? And when we and get so, to that, there's no, there's no safety. Mm-hmm. And then there's yes. no trust. The trust starts to break down. Yeah. So you don't get those I statements coming now because mm-hmm. it's not safe to reveal that that's how I feel. Okay. Well, so let, let's. Uh, the, you've raised the issue of trust, which I think is important here, 
because when I go into a difficult conversation, I may be having that conversation with someone with whom I have a relationship and who I can trust. I may walk into difficult conversations where I either don't tr- where I either don't trust the person, I don't know the person well enough to to have any any capital, you know, any conversational yes. relational capital right, right. to draw upon. So um, so this commitment to understand really has to be um, particularly the the less well I know the person uh, or the more hostile I might be towards the person going in really has to be a self-commitment, doesn't it, to the nature of the conversation and the way I'm going to pursue it? Yes. Yeah, I mean, you have to be committed to a process of growing trust and safety. Mm-hmm. And so – You mean nurturing it? Yeah. Well, you have to do your part. Uh-huh. You give the opportunity for the other person to do their part. Okay. And you don't start with your deepest stuff. Mm-hmm. You, you start at kind of at your upper level. Uh-huh. And as you have an exchange of cordial, kind, respectful reception mm-hmm. back and forth, that's the thing that says, okay, that was kind of safe, mm-hmm. and I can trust you to give you something a little deeper mm-hmm. than that. Mm-hmm. So you don't just um, assume trust, and you don't just grant trust. It, it gets established in the exchange as you grow to deeper and deeper exchanges with right. one another. Right. So one of the examples, just in sitting here, I think about um, every time we have our holiday break, Thanksgiving break, right before that time, typically in classes, I'll have the conversation, well, you're going to be at home with your families this week. Oh, I know it. This is what's coming. How <laughs> is that conversation going to go? Uh-huh. And no matter, it never fails. It opens up the Pandora's box, and everybody <laughs> has to say how they always feel they're on the short end of what the aunt or the uncle, the uh-huh. grandparents, or even there's the someone. There's someone who's somebody's there yep. who you know they they know it's going to be difficult, and but not only that they don't feel heard. Mm -hmm. And so what we talk about often, I said, well, wait a minute, we have to talk about, well, they never, they never, or they always blow me off. Mm -hmm. I said, well, first of all, if they're absolutes, that's probably Mm -hmm. not accurate. Uh But even if it is, stop playing the same old tape. Mm -hmm. And that also breaks or breaches that relationship and that trust factor because you're playing the old tape. He always said it this way. He didn't want me to think about. So I go in, in with way. an expectation that's undermining what's getting ready. To yeah, happen. exactly. So yeah. you're already <clears throat> defeating yeah. the whole opportunity to hear, to listen, and to right. be open. Hmm. And if you're wired that way at the beginning, your startup is going to be a harsh startup, mm-hmm. not a soft startup. Mm-hmm. Researchers tell us that the direction of a difficult conversation is totally going to be determined in the first three minutes Hmm. of that conversation. Hmm. So you want to be very, very intentional at the very beginning. Um, And even if you're you're needing to uh, identify and discuss gripes, you're you can package that in constructive ways. Mm-hmm. See, but the way you package, the way you deliver, especially in that first three minutes, that that's going to really determine. Even if you have a three-hour conversation after that, 
that's all determined in the first three minutes. Okay, so I can hear someone listen, listening to this, and, and you know, the, of course, this applies to a whole range of conversations. Yes, you sure. know, we uh, we we've highlighted the family. That's obviously a transparent one. In fact, I when I the first time I gave a talk on difficult conversations, I was in a I was in a political environment. I yeah. was uh, speaking at an event called uh, Christians in Public Service, and it was about local politicians and the work that they do as local politicians and I was walking through this and I you know took 30 minutes to introduce the topic before we had our conversation about it and the first hand goes up and it's a woman sitting over here and she said I think you just helped me with my marriage <laughs> yeah <laughs> yes, yes. you know so 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 obviously we're talking about a process that can be in the family it can be at the workplace it can be uh, you know about politics uh, it can even be to a cer- certain degree how I communicate in in context where I'm not face to face with somebody, sure. you know, how I engage them, et cetera. And I, I think the pushback that sometimes initially comes is, well, when I go into a conversation, particularly about something I care about or something I have a conviction about, and particularly, let's, I mean, one of the discourses is going to be religious discourse. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm going to go in and I'm going to have a conviction. Yeah. Uh, I, I have something I deeply believe. So the question becomes, well, doesn't this undermine um, doesn't this whole approach risk undermining uh, what I believe, and why should I go into a conversation that does that? Yeah, and that's a very natural and automatic process, mm-hmm. and if you follow that approach, it actually undermines the whole outcome of being able to actually be understood. Mm-hmm. And so your convictions have a way less chance of ever being heard mm-hmm. if you take that approach going into so in other words if i if i if i'm constantly pushing back on the other person and they and and constantly kind of in the rebuttal mode mm-hmm. um not only not only have my phaser shields gone up but i'm going to produce phaser shields on the other side yeah. that's actually yes. going to block yeah, yeah. the communication yes so much of the time we're not being heard because as the speaker we're getting in the way mm-hmm. of the hearing that we're desiring. Mm-hmm. And so uh, it is not true that understanding means I've compromised my convictions. Okay, now this is something I want That's to talk important. about because I think this is a very important idea that that understanding is not the same as agreement. That's right. And so so if understanding is not the same of agreement, this is why you can divide up your conversations in terms of a process first of gaining to understanding. And I like to tell people, if you get to the point where you both are mutually agreed on what it is exactly that you're talking about and what the nature of your differences are, you're in a better place to talk about those differences than when if you're talking past one another or you're not even talking to one another. Yeah. Right. And so, um, so to say – to, to have the ability to articulate what someone else is saying to you is not saying you agree with that. It's saying, I am hearing what you are yeah. saying, and, and we both understand that I understand what it is you're saying to me. A, a great guideline for the uh, differences on either side mm-hmm. entering into the difficult conversation is to say – we can 100% understand each other even if we 100% de- disagree with each other. Okay. So understanding does not equal agreement. Okay. Right. So, and that just takes work, doesn't it, to get there? 
It, it goes against our inner human self-protection. Uh-huh. We, we have to fight against ourselves. Okay, so this takes a discipline. Um, any, any advice on, uh, on, on what that really takes? I mean, I've, we've already said some things. Shut off your tendency to respond. Uh, try and listen in such a way that you can repeat what it is that someone else is saying to you. Uh, what role does having some sense of I, mean, I don't know how else to say this, having some sense of empathy for or connection with the other person, being willing to hear something different? Again, not because you're going to agree with it, but because you understand that by doing that, you're going to advance your opportunity to actually have a better conversation. I actually think empathy is a very good word in this context because. You really have to try to put yourself in the other person's shoes. Mm -hmm. Get some sense of what their journey is and what they're doing. Um, Along with that, I would say it takes patience. Mm -hmm. Something else that most people don't like and what's awkward and uncomfortable for them are moments of silence. Mm -hmm. Moments of silence are deafening. Mm -hmm. And so because of that, the natural tendency is I have to fill in, I have to jump in, and not giving people a chance to process what's being said is also important. So mm-hmm. a part of understanding is not just listening, but waiting for the person to respond and then take time to process that in a way that it's not forced or awkward. Yeah, the metaphor I like to use for this is is um, getting a GPS on someone, figuring mm-hmm. out what their position, yeah. where what their position is, and why their position there. Yeah. And uh, in spiritual conversations, I think that's very very important because there might be an experience in their past or something like that that has predisposed them to look at their spiritual experience in a certain way. And if you can discover that that's there, that actually helps you connect and empathize with the person and why they might be reacting in the way they are. Because another thing that we tend to do that undercuts conversations is we'll impute motive um, yes. to, to why it is someone is saying something. They may not have given any indication that that's what's going on, and in fact that may not be what's motivating them, but we will read it through our filters in such a way exactly. that we will assume this is why you're telling me this Yes, and respond at that yeah, level. Yeah, one of the um, phrases that researchers use for that is a negative interpretation. Okay. And so when I'm looking at something in the moment, in the present, I tend to look through lenses that shape what I'm looking at. Okay, that's our second layer. And so the lenses typically do have a basis to them, but mm-hmm. they're most often a basis that's historical and not related to this present moment. Mm-hmm. And so as I'm looking, I'm getting a different picture of what I'm looking at because my lenses are changing the filtering of what I'm seeing and understanding. And then that sets me up to naturally and automatically attach a wrong meaning, understanding, interpretation, motivation, conclusion that's not even what's going on mm-hmm. in the present. Right. See? And so it's it's an easy thing to see somebody else do, but it's a hard thing to see yourself do mm-hmm. because your perception becomes your reality. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we need to be teachable mm-hmm. to be open to those kinds of lenses that we're looking through. Okay, so we've used two metaphors here to talk about the exchange. One is a phaser shield that's kind of a defensive <laughs> block, and the other are these lenses that we put on that that impact the way 
we perceive. And in many ways, what we're saying is we need to do the best we can to lower the phaser shield mm-hmm. and to try – and you can't do this take entirely. Off take off the take lenses. Off the yes. lenses. Yeah, you can't do this entirely, but you can – if you make the effort to listen to what someone else is saying to you and, and you do it without feeling the risk of I'm, I'm agreeing with what – I'm hearing, I give myself the chance of actually hearing what it is that the other person is trying yes. to say to me. Yes, yes. And that's a, that's a great story. And then it opens up amazing opportunities for personal transformation. The exchange itself gives you more opportunity for personal growth than not having the exchange of the difficult conversation. And so you might actually imagine this, learn and grow from the conversation. <laughs> How refreshing. <laughs> uh, okay, so, so I think we've kind of laid out the, the, the kind of the, the ground rules on the understanding side. Let, let's deal a little bit with, uh, with moving towards that that, that, that as you're pursuing a difficult conversation, in your, if, you, if you can get both people to pursue the goal of mutually understanding one another, uh, I'm going to have the ability to, to say to you what you've said to me and vice versa. Uh, and we're going to get to the point, hopefully, in the midst of this conversation, that we can uh, identify what it is that we are actually talking about, because that's actually part of the goal. The understanding mm-hmm. phase is to actually pinpoint not what you think is going on or right. what you have intuited has gone on, right. yes. but what actually is, at least in the perceptions of the participants, what their mutual perception is about what's going on, the nature of those differences. Yeah. Then you put yourself in, in a little bit of an, an assessment mode. This episode is brought to you by The Truce Podcast. I'm sure you've been there. You're at an event, a dinner, a small group, and someone says something like, If you're a Christian, you have to vote Republican. Huh. That raises an interesting question. How did evangelicals like me get to the place where we just assumed we'd all vote one way? This season on The Truce Podcast, we're diving deep into the complexity of the 1970s and 80s to understand how evangelicals tied themselves to the Republican Party. It's a story that involves murder, corruption, redemption, and our need to be heard. I'll be talking with celebrated historians like Rick Perlstein, Pulitzer Prize winners Francis Fitzgerald and Jesse Isinger, and some of the best guests I've ever had. Truce is the show that uses journalistic tools to look inside the Christian church. We press pause on the culture wars in order to explore how we got here and how we can do better. Subscribe to Truce anywhere you get podcasts or listen at trucepodcast.com. Now, I mentioned someone listening to us, you know, we're about halfway through, goes, all right, I, I can see where this might be helpful, but there's a little part of me that says, um, I have my convictions, um, and, and, I, and I don't, I don't want to be moved. I mean, I, you know, I've, I've, I've thought about this, and, you know, maybe it's a moral issue or whatever, and I don't want to be moved. So, one, why, why would I pursue this? In this way, and two, is are we talking about a giving up of convictions because we're entering into this kind of a conversation? Yeah. So just because you're entering into a conversation of mutual understanding doesn't mean that the change that can come from that means you're giving up your convictions. Um, it might involve a readjusting of some convictions Mm -hmm. that you have. But you might actually, after a mutual 
understanding conversation even be more strongly convicted about your convictions, mm -hmm. okay? Um, but what you're also doing is you're placing yourself in a interaction with someone where you're being teachable. As well as learning about them, you're learning about yourself. I don't know what I don't know. I have blind spots, mm -hmm. but I don't know how that's affecting me. And it's in that exchange that I get opportunities to learn what those are. But again, we have to let the shield down mm -hmm. and not be so tight in our nonverbal communication and in our even our expressions mm -hmm. so that the message can be received. Because if I'm not believing that you're even taking me seriously, I'm not going to share or I'm not going to share authentically. Okay. So, again, just to kind of pull this together, sometimes I think we think conversations are kind of all or nothing conversations. And what I mean by that is I have my convictions, I have the thing I want to defend, particularly if it's a, if it's a, a, a conversation about ideas. Um, and. And so, you know, I know where my ground is. You know, I've I've grown up all my life with this point of view, that kind of thing, um, and I, and I'm and I'm all in. But but what I think we're slow to see, and what I think this process does oftentimes play with in reality is, it may not be an all or nothing conversation. It may be that there are certain things that I see using your blind spots picture uh, that need tweaking. Mm -hmm. That need nuancing. That, yes. that it's that that what something I may treat as an absolute may not in fact be an absolute. An illustration. I was on email yesterday with a student graduate of ours, and we were discussing something related to Islam, and his perception of Islam is is was strictly negative. And I was sending him an article about about. Uh, a visit of a Christian dignitary to the Middle East, and in the midst of this, his response was, "Well, I just don't believe anything positive can come of this." And, mm -hmm. and so, and I'm sitting here saying, "So, are you telling me that that every Muslim that you've met automatically goes kind of a negative meter in mm -hmm. in effect?" And and basically, he was saying yes. And I said, "I said, well, have you met and had conversations <laughs> with many Muslims? I mean, right. have, you, have you actually seen what they think about certain areas?" And he wrote me back and said. Well, not that many, and and so we pursued this. And and what I was actually doing in that conversation was to try and tweak, for lack of yeah. a better description. It wasn't that I was denying that there is an element of Islam to be concerned about from mm -hmm. a Christian point of view, but it was to say that if I evaluate every Muslim through the same lens and see them all the same way in this generic kind of way, that somehow I might miss something that's coming at me that actually creates an opportunity sure. as opposed right. to uh, necessarily being something I need to be defensive about. Yeah. And and that that's a tweak. That's not yeah, yeah. an all or nothing right, right, in right, thing. Right. right. So you do have that going on at that level, mm -hmm. but you also have let's stick with your example. Okay. There's a whole new realm of awareness and understanding that he could get about himself mm -hmm. that says, what is it about me that has to look at things okay. that way? Okay. Mm -hmm. See? Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's a, that's a way more significant and important opportunity for right. him to come to terms with. Right. And in fact, in, this, is an ex this is a student with whom I have regular exchanges that graduated. But, um, 
and and the consistent thing that happens in our exchanges because we almost never agree on anything, is um, is is his tendency to pursue everything on a binary basis. Yes. This all yes. it's, it's an all or nothing model. There's almost no spectrum to deal with in the conversation, et cetera. And and most of my interaction with him isn't because I necessarily entirely disagree with where he's coming from, but the way in which he comes at it and the way in which he so starkly contrasts yeah. what his options are mm-hmm. says, you're missing a whole series of possibilities right, in right. here sure. that you could be considering and thinking about. Yeah. Sure. So it goes back to your model of if he's stuck at the facts and events level uh-huh. where his biggest opportunity is at his personal level, yeah. why is it that I have to have that way of looking at everything mm-hmm. in life? Mm-hmm. Win, lose. Yeah, mm-hmm. we're back to that. Yeah, self awareness is caught on, is is based on my perception, who I am, my experience, and I've got to win. But one level in that win and lose perspective is, and I think it particularly applies, especially to religious discourse, is is this perception of being right or wrong. You know right. that uh, that that I, there's something fundamentally <clears throat> at stake yes. in the convictions that I have, which makes me tenacious, yes. if I can say it that way. Yes. Um, and and wrestling with that dimension of these dynamics, I think, is also very 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 important in thinking through this this picture between conviction and. And conversation, and and let's introduce another word here. And Gary, I know you want to speak to this, and the issue of tolerance. How, how do, mm-hmm. let's let's juxtapose those things for a second and see see how they how they're a part of this of this right, conversation right. about conversations. You know, in our uh, day and age now, um, we've really shined bright lights on the ugliness of intolerance, mm-hmm. and that's a good thing. Mm-hmm. We're glad for that. But uh, the unfortunate solution to that has become tolerance. Mm-hmm. And tolerance is not our answer mm-hmm. for intolerance. What, what we really need is something that's going to take us way beyond both intolerance and tolerance. And I think that's really where the gospel comes in to help us right. on this. If you really break it down, you could say, okay, there's, there's, if, you, if you just take intolerance, that's uh, about exclusion. And you can exclude in two different ways. You can expel somebody or you can subjugate somebody. Like, get away from me or I'll get away from you. Mm-hmm. Okay, But there's a, another way to exclude, and that is Okay, we can uh, live in the same town, but you live on that side of town, and I'll live on this side of town. We'll we'll play by my rules Mm -hmm. in terms of how we relate with one another. So that's all intolerance that we don't want to uh, have as our solution to things. But if you think about tolerance, it's really a sneaky exclusion Mm -hmm. because what what tolerance becomes is a commitment to assimilation to where, you know, if you have the truth, then that becomes excluding. And so in order for us to be included, nobody can have truth. And that's where, that's where a lot of our millennials are 
that's where a lot of our middle schoolers and high schoolers are. Mm -hmm. I have a position and I have a thought, but if I want to be in the in crowd, I've got to now keep that to myself and be play along with whatever um, topic is on the table so that I can be a part of the group. Okay. That's so, what's dangerous. So, uh, and that has to do with obviously one sense of belonging. Yes. Um, and and how I am or am not a part of a group, et cetera. Um, that's one so, so tolerance does ha- have in mind a good outcome of inclusion, mm-hmm. but the basis of the inclusion is the exclusion of differences. Okay. Mm-hmm. It's the exclusion of my truth versus your truth. And there's something, I'm going to use this word, there's something inauthentic about that. Very, totally. Very, yeah. Very, it's yeah. a very superficial way of being connected. Okay. And if you're doing that for a very long time in your formative years, guess what happens by the time you're a young adult? You don't have those thoughts. You haven't been able to formulate those talk, those thoughts, and you don't have the capacity to understand and hear yourself doing that mm-hmm. because you've been in this tolerant. You can get so assimilated. assimilated you become assimilated. Group. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yes. So, um, so, so then I think the tension becomes: how do you how do you participate in this process, which I think we're affirming is a helpful process to first understand and then do your assessment. I don't think yeah. I've said that explicitly, but that's really what we're talking about. Um, how do you participate in the situation and and do so with an with an authenticity that that one is open to learn on the one hand, but also is willing to take a stand on the other. Right. So um, I'm this is a thing I would describe with three H's. Okay. okay. Head, having right information. Okay. Hand, being skillful, acquiring the skills to actually have difficult conversations. But the third, we don't talk about enough, but I think it's at the core, and that's the heart. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so it's if I'm not operating from a freed heart. I'm not going to be able to apply the information and the skills. I mean, there's guys that write books, they're experts on marriage who get divorced. Mm-hmm. Okay? It's not because yeah. they didn't yeah. have the right information and right. the skills. Right. Right. Okay. Right. They just had a bad There was partner. a barrier for their personal wholeness uh-huh. that got in the way mm-hmm. of applying the information mm-hmm. and the skills. And probably going back historically, right, for a long time in the past. And, um, and, you know, you can think about this both theologically and psychologically. It goes back to vertical relationships and horizontal relationships, Mm -hmm. see. Mm -hmm. So everybody starts off with a vertical relationship of some kind of a caregiver, Mm -hmm. right? Maybe a mother, maybe not. Mm -hmm. But uh, in the experience of that vertical relationship, if the caregiver is whole and healthy enough to give in a relationship that's one way, not mutual, Mm -hmm. that helps to shape a secure attachment and identity development for that individual. Which allows them to trust in those Which then allows them to Mm -hmm. have a whole different playing field on how they connect in horizontal relationships in the future. Got it. There's no such thing as a perfect caregiver. So Mm -hmm. we're all working with deficits and gaps. Mm Caregivers all have combinations of moving against us and moving away from us, mm-hmm. 
And so we're all wounded in our development of ourselves. Mm -hmm. And as we try to relate horizontally, we're, we're not free in that. And so that's why we have to win. Mm -hmm. I can't lose, mm -hmm. right? see? Right. Because this relationship is not just about me understanding you. This is about myself and how do I become a whole person, hmm. see? And it, it's really the gospel where we have the possibility through another vertical relationship of a redemption, mm -hmm. a redemption of self, and so my identity becomes freed up from all those expectations I put into future horizontal relationships. Because the acceptance issue is resolved in yes. the vertical That's relationship That's not in play. Yeah. And so you, right. could, you could really totally blow away my beliefs. Mm -hmm. And that's not a that's not a hit on who I am. Mm -hmm. See, you could even falsely represent my position, mm -hmm. and I don't have to be defensive about that. Mm -hmm. You could falsely uh, charge me with things that I didn't do, and I don't have to defend that because the real reason is there's worse things than that that you don't even know about. And so why am I going to spend time defending that thing? See, mm -hmm. I'm freed up to move into an engagement in another horizontal relationship where my acceptance and approval is not dependent. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, and that obviously lowers the stakes in the conversation and opens up the possibilities for what's going on. Let, let's introduce another model, another picture, because uh, I think this is helpful too. When I'm in a conversation, I, I can, there are really probably basically three ways to respond. I can, I can move against someone. Yes. Mm -hmm. I can withdraw and just pull out, yes. okay, yes. or I can move towards someone. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And and maybe in the midst of a certain conversations, I may move between those different positions at different points in the conversation. I may find myself, you know, push and pull a little. We bit. all do all, yes. all yeah, of those. That's things. right. So, um, but the but the commitment of moving towards someone is, is a commitment. Uh, I put a theological layer on this, and you know the the great commandment. This vertical horizontal thing is no accident. The great commandment is love God with all your heart, mind, right. soul, and yes. love your neighbors yourself. Yes. It has a core vertical element. It has a core horizontal exactly. element. Exactly. Yes. And and it's very clear from the scripture that my neighbor is anybody. It's not. It's I don't get to pick and choose who, who my, my neighbor is. That's right. Um, so. So the gospel's call is for us to be good neighbors to everybody. You know, um, I'm thinking of the old uh, Mr. Rogers. You know, won't you be my neighbor? <laughs> yes, well, I know. And, and to which the answer is, well, actually, you don't have a choice. Yeah. <laughs> and so, um, but how I, how do I function as a good neighbor? What we're talking about in these conversations is a way to actually um, work towards being a good neighbor. Yes. And so I think that's really the good news of the gospel, and that's why Jesus says, a new commandment I give you, mm -hmm. that you love one another as I have loved you. Mm -hmm. And so how did he do that? In contrast to the tolerance, they have a good goal of inclusion, but it was at the sacrifice of having truce, mm -hmm. where, where there's no room for us to have conflicting truce mm -hmm. in our connection. So uh, what Christ did you know Romans fifteen seven, um, accept others as you have been received by Christ. He moved towards me when I was against him, 
at his ultimate cost. Mm-hmm. See, and so he on the cross, he was not tolerant of me. On the cross, he actually spoke the ugly truth about my condition. Mm-hmm. But he loved me so much that he chose to die in light of that mm-hmm. ugly truth. Mm-hmm. He didn't make me pay for it. He paid for it. Exactly. Okay. See? And so that's connecting grace. That's the grace and truth that Christ was full of. And so what I am supposed to do with another, especially when there's difference, is to not move towards them minimizing or ignoring the difference. I'm to move towards them in a honest assessment of the difference, acknowledging fully how we're different, but that's not the basis of our connecting with one another. So uh, the I old expression agreeing to disagree is actually not a bad expression in some way. It's not. It's more than that, though. Mm-hmm. I'm actually at my cost, perhaps, connecting with you. Mm-hmm. I'm not just allowing you to disagree with me. In other words, because one of the things that agreeing to disagree can do is become a basis for withdrawal. And yes, it, becomes, it could be. It yes. could, yeah, it can be we're just going to tolerate each other. Yes. We yes. agree, and we're not going to ever talk about this again, and we're done with it, et cetera. And right. I'm, at that level, I'm going to disconnect with you is my yes. point. Okay. I think that's the way oftentimes that phrase Yes. So this is going beyond that yeah. in that we're going to, with our differences, make a connection. Mm-hmm. But again, with our, you know, one of the themes we haven't really talked about, and this is probably another show, not uh-huh. this one, yeah. but it's understanding self. Right. You've got to understand you well enough so that you can be free to, be do, free to do what we're talking Interesting. about here. Yeah, well, I, I really do think this is the first of a series of conversations that we're going to have because I think there's a whole dimension about which we haven't even gotten to at all yet, which is what are the things that we do that undermine difficult conversations? There are strategies that we employ. In fact, you can turn on the television and see them applied uh, multiple times in in one segment. Uh, Yes. um, And you watch watch a conversation break down. Uh, And then there are things we can do that can advance conversations that actually are steps towards people and that are recognized as such. Yeah. Another thing I like to say about difficult conversations is until you build some sense of trust, until a person understands that and somehow you connect to them and you care about them, if there is a critique that you're asking them to understand, they're not going to embrace it until they have that sense of connection with you yes. and they're willing exactly. to take it in. Exactly. In one of those verses, James one nineteen, mm-hmm. be quick to what? Listen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Slow, slow to speak, to speak mm-hmm. and slow, slow to anger. Mm-hmm. Oh, I, we that's can't a do that, and, and right. we can't do that if we are so intent on being well, being right, mm-hmm. winning, mm-hmm. and getting my point across. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can I go back to your uh, moving towards rather than against yeah, or away? Sure. So, um, if we try to make that a little more clear in what we mean by that, uh, one of the things that I think can help us is, again, this does require good information and good skills, but more importantly, it's the heart. Mm-hmm. And am I free to do that? And if I'm actually moving towards a person, that is an act of love, not a feeling of love. Mm-hmm. And in that moving towards, I'm actually loving that person by willing the good 
of that person. Mm -hmm. When I'm moving against the person, I'm actually acting against what's good for that person. Mm -hmm. When I'm moving away from the person, I'm indifferent to that person, and so I'm moving away from the opportunity of doing something good for yeah, that person. Yeah, and, and the thing I like to say about moving towards someone is, is it, it's the way you move towards someone is not by making them leap into your world, right. if I can say it that yeah. way. The way you move towards someone is to move – you you approach them from where they are coming from, right. if mm -hmm. I can say it that yeah. way. Because they could still be totally disagreeing with your that's world. That's exactly right. right. Yeah. But 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 if I uh, and I often think we do this in our own evangelism that what happens is we make people leap this huge building in a single right. round rather than thinking about okay where is this person coming from into which exactly. the gospel will speak exactly and uh, I I love to illustrate this with the way we handled uh, world religions topic which is the normal way Christians will do it is to say well this is how this how this does this line of Beliefs doesn't line up with the Bible, right? And it failed. <clears throat> okay, yeah. But the way we did our series was to say, you know, what what do, what does this faith believe? Let's just understand what it what it stands for. What's the attraction? Why would someone I call it Velcro factor? Mm -hmm. Why would they stick with this? Mm -hmm. Why is with it that they would belief. drive? Yeah. Why yes. would they? What would drive? It? And then the third question is, how does the gospel speak into that connection? Yes. Okay. So what I am moving towards after you understand that. after you understand that, yeah. which takes a little bit of work and yes. a lot of listening. Patience. But having done that. What, what I've done is I moved towards the person, and I've approached the person starting with where they are yes. and yes. bringing them into a conversation about, about the gospel as opposed to saying, well, unless you, you know, your beliefs line up like this, then, yeah, then yeah. We're, we're in a difficult place. Right. right. It's a sequence problem, mm -hmm. see? We tend to go with if we can just think the same or have the same beliefs – and then we can move towards having the same behaviors, then we can connect with one another, mm -hmm. right. see? Whereas with this other approach, the grace and truth approach of the gospel, mm -hmm. you can actually connect with one another mm -hmm. and then begin to discuss and, and see where you because go with your beliefs. Because out of the beliefs. trust with those differences, you now have a better basis to actually approach the way in you which you're authentic. Being, yeah. yeah. Now we're well, we, we have literally uh, – I say this often, and it's certainly true in this case – we have just scratched the surface on this. But thank you for helping us introduce this topic. This is a series that we are planning on doing on difficult conversations where we're going to talk about different dimensions of it. As I've said, some of the things that we'll be pursuing will be the types of things that we do that undermine ability to have a good, difficult conversation, the things that we can do that contribute to making it work, uh, those kinds of things. But I think we've laid a good groundwork for people to understand that um, uh, going into a difficult conversation to win is not going to help you. Going into a different difficult conversation to listen and learn about the person – I think that might be the way mm -hmm. to say it mm – -hmm. to learn about the person gives you a chance. Mm -hmm. yes. Well, we thank you for for being with us and helping thank us. You. Thank and, you. And uh, we thank you for being a part of the table and hope you'll join us again soon. If you have topics or interests that you want uh, to submit to the table, uh, you can communicate with us at uh, Dallas Seminary uh, DTS.edu, and there's a, a page tied to the Hendricks Center and the Table podcast that will allow you to give us feedback. We'd love to hear your ideas, and we thank you for being a part of the table today. 
Thanks for listening to The Table Podcast. For more podcasts like this one, visit dts.edu slash the table. Dallas Theological Seminary. Teach truth. Love well. This episode was brought to you in part by The Compelled Podcast, which uses gripping, immersive storytelling to bring Christian testimonies to life. Listen to missionaries, addicts, martyrs, and more who have seen Jesus at work in unbelievable ways. Listen on your podcast app or compelledpodcast.com.